0: This church had been declining for some time, and they decided that what they needed from a minister was somebody who was younger, somebody who had a young family that could attract younger families. And so they enlisted the help of a consultant to guide them through the process. And so the consultant began by asking a question. He said, so what's, what's the one thing that you have that could attract people to this congregation? And so the elders kind of looked at each other, looked at the floor. Nobody had a response. And the consultant asked it this way. So when you came to this church, when you first came here, what was it about this church that drew you? What is it now that draws you back every Sunday? And one of the elders spoke up and said, well, it's the fellowship. It's the people. You know, I I want to see the people and share life with them. And the consultant said, that's good. But you do realize that young families can find that in a lot of places whether it's their kids' sports activities or social groups or whatever, what's the one thing that sets you guys apart from those other social groups and sporting activities and things like that? Elders didn't have an answer. And the consultant said, let me ask it this way. What is the one thing in this church that makes the difference between this congregation and all those other things out there that have Uh, an offer of fellowship and fun and all those kind of things. What's the one thing that's different and set apart about you guys? Nobody had had an answer. And finally, the consultant said, Look, if you can't identify the one thing that is to set you apart from every other social club or organization out there, if you can't identify that Jesus is the difference maker, that he should be at the focal point, at the center of everything you do, If you don't have that, what makes you think that anybody is going to be attracted to this congregation? You know, sometimes it's the people in the pew that need Jesus the most, right? As a kid, I used to dress up as a priest. Growing up Catholic, I wanted to be a priest. So I'd get a black turtleneck, I'd make a little white collar, and I would invite the neighborhood kids to come over and hear me preach. They only did it one time. Not sure why they didn't want to come back and be held hostage by me. But nevertheless, many Christians all over the globe do exactly like I used to do as a kid. Not that they dress up like a priest, but many of them do dress up. And they go and they play church every Sunday. They put on their best clothes, they come to church, they do church things, and then they go home never, never changed Nothing is ever different in their lives. I would like to ask you this morning the same question that that consultant asked the church who was looking to hire a preacher. What's the one thing, the one thing that this church has to offer that other social clubs and organizations around us don't have? What's that one thing? And of course, I've given away the answer, it's Jesus. But let's consider the other question That the consultant asked. What difference is being a part of this church making in your life? What difference has being a part of this congregation made in your life? Now, again, the answer is Jesus. He's the difference maker. He's he's the one who changes things, but this church or any church can be about a lot of things, right? We can be uh, about a lot of programming and activities. We can have a very fulfilling worship service. We can have good singing, but if our hearts aren't changed, if our lives aren't affected, if we're not different by being here, if Jesus isn't the focal point, then we're just dressing up and playing church. Now, last week we began a series entitled Seven Ups for a Better Life, and last week we talked about wake up, how we all need to wake up to the revolution that's going on around us, how we all need to identify our one, who's our one that we need to reach out to with the gospel. We talked about what it means to sleep through a revolution, and we talked about waking up to evangelism. Now, these ups, if you apply them to your life, I believe will make a profound difference, but it's not about you. Let me say that going forward. It's not about you. This is not about you or personal happiness. This is about God. It's our mission in Christ. Everyone has an opportunity to be a hero for Jesus and for the cause of Christ. So if we're going to do that, if we apply these ups to our lives, I think you're going to see that while it's not about you, there's a lot of personal benefit that comes. There's a tremendous joy that will be experienced if you apply these ups to your life. A life lived for God is the best life. Now that I think about it, maybe we should have called this seven ups for the best life. Anyway, let's go forward. The second installment is found in Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. When I was younger, I had the complete uniform of Tony Dorsett. I bought it somewhere, my parents bought it for me for Christmas maybe, but I had the helmet, the shoulder pads, the jersey, the pants. I was Tony Dorsett, and I would dress up, and I would run through the house juking the furniture, and I would eventually dive on the bed for a touchdown. I also had a Nerf basketball goal that I hung over the door in my room, and I would put on my Michael Jordan jersey, and I would be Michael Jordan in those moments, and I would dunk over my stuffed animals. I had a replica St. Louis Cardinals uniform that I would put on, and with my ball and glove, I would go outside and pretend to be Keith Hernandez. You ever done that? You ever dressed up like someone else? When you dress up like someone else, you become that person especially when you're a kid, right? I can remember playing outside and my mom calling me for dinner, Chris, time for supper. And I'd say, I'm not Chris, I'm Luke Skywalker. And she'd say, well, Luke, come in and eat your vegetables because I'm the emperor and I'm going to put you in one of those invisible chokeholds. Every year at Halloween, kids dress up. We'll see it next week at Trunk or Treat or you'll have trick-or-treaters come to your door. They ring the doorbell and every year I say, well, what are you supposed to be? and they'll say, well, I'm Spider-Man, or I'm a unicorn, or whatever it is. Well, you're not, right? You're not a unicorn. You're not Spider-Man, but don't tell them that. Because they're wearing the uniform, because they're wearing the costume, because they're dressed up like that person or that thing, that's what they are. You ever watch the show, I'm going to say this wrong, Downtown Abbey. I was told after the first service, it's Downtown Abbey. So, sorry, but I'm, I'm English, and I speak like a uh, West Texan. So, um, if you've ever seen that show, I haven't. Uh, we were speaking before. Annie Drachenberg can tell you all about it. She almost let Jim die over watching the show. That's a great story, by the way. Y'all need to share that. Anyway, if you've ever seen the show, there's an actress on the show who said that wearing those costumes put her in a different mood. They changed her When she put on those costumes, she said, "I became more refined." She said, "My posture changed. I walked differently. I talked differently. I was more prim and proper." Putting on that old garb transferred her, transformed her, I should say, into someone new. And that's exactly what Paul's getting at in Colossians three. That's exactly the point he's making: is that when you put on this spiritual garb, when you put on this spiritual outfit. It changes you. When you adorn yourself in Christ, it transforms you. Look with me at Colossians 1:13 and 14. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You buried that old sinful self. Dead people wear grave clothes, but you're not dead anymore. Resurrected people wear something different. And although you were previously alienated and hostile in attitude, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. In the midst of alienation and hostility and darkness, Jesus came to end the exile. He didn't just come to make bad people good, he came to make dead people live. God implemented a plan to reconcile humanity back to Himself. The price for our rebellion was paid. We were saved from our long exile, and we were granted citizenship in the kingdom where we get to dwell with our King for all eternity. That's your story. That's your song. And baptism is the moment that you left it all behind, that you left those grave clothes in the grave, you left that old, dead, sinful self in the grave, and you rose to newness of life. Colossians 2, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out their certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. It's a miracle. You ever thought of your baptism that way? You should. It's a miracle. You were transformed. You were dead. Now you are alive. The only way to get out from under the reign of sin and death is to die. You once wore a straight jacket. Now you wear a beautiful white robe. You received a Jesus suit. But understand, this is not a costume. It's not an outfit. It's not a uniform. It's more than that. There's a short story by Max Beerbohm, it's uh, entitled The Happy Hypocrite, and it's about a, a rogue gentleman that is infatuated with a young virtuous lady, and he knows that she'll have nothing to do with him in his current state, the way he was living. And so he decides to go to one of the best crafters of masks in his village, and he gets a mask made to wear that perfectly forms and shapes his face, and he looks like somebody different, and he eventually wins the heart of this virtuous young lady. They get engaged, and at the wedding, just before they're to exchange vows, an old flame from the rogue man's past steps up and calls him out. He says, why don't you take off the mask? And so he reluctantly takes off the mask to reveal that his face... became the mask that he was wearing. All his features, everything became shaped to the mask. The mask that he was wearing is what he became, the happy hypocrite. As Christians, we become what we put on. Not a happy hypocrite, of course. Instead of a mask, we're putting on a Jesus suit. We're adorning ourselves, not with clothing, but with character. Now back up to verse 1 of Colossians chapter 3. And so what we just read in Colossians 3, 12 through 17 is a response to a question that Paul poses in verse 1. Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. People are identified by their clothing. The other day I was at Best Buy. I had on a blue polo. The people at Best Buy who work there wear blue polos. And I guess a lady thought I worked there and she walked up to me and she said, excuse me, could you tell me where the GoPro cameras are? So I just went with it. I said, yeah, they're over on aisle six. They're free, take one. (laughs) She's in prison right now. People are often identified by what they wear. Police officers wear a uniform and a badge. Firemen wear uniforms, right? Military personnel, they wear camouflage. Judges wear a black robe. And Christians wear something distinctive as well. Resurrected people put on new clothes. They put on a new attitude. They adorn themselves with a new character. What does that look like? Well, very briefly, let me show you what it looks like. Bear with me as we run through this because Paul gives us a description of the new attire we are to wear. First of all, you have a new mind. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. So to express this in our language, Paul would be saying, hey, where's your head at? What's on your mind? What's going on in your head, right? When you think, something happens. What you think matters. We want to start with actions. Well, you're already too late then. you got to start with the mind because actions begin in the mind. We want to let our minds run wild and then stop short of sin. That's not how this works. You're already too late in the game. You cut it off in the mind. You take every thought captive. You build a fortress around your thought life. Christians receive a spiritual lobotomy. Secondly, you have a new life. If you're following along, this is Colossians uh, chapter 3, starting in verse 5. Therefore, treat the parts of your earthly body as dead to sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, and in them you also once walked when you were living in them. The old self, your old self did whatever it felt like doing, but your new self does whatever God wants you to do. Like Jesus, you're about the Father's business. You live at the center of His will. That's the biggest difference between the person you were and the person you are becoming. Spirit-filled people live spirit-filled lives. You belong to Christ. You crucified the flesh. Those passions, those desires have been replaced with spiritual produce. When you were immersed into Christ, you received an incredible gift. The gift of the Holy Spirit. Let it fill you, and let him continue to transform you. You also get a new tongue when you rise up. But now you also rid yourselves of all of them, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you stripped off the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created it. Resurrected people don't talk like dead people. Dead people have a dead vocabulary. As a a resurrected person, you get a new tongue, a new way of speaking. Resurrected people say things that uplift, not tear down. They speak words of encouragement and edification. They don't use the language of a dead man. They use their mouth to glorify God, to proclaim the gospel, and to encourage the brethren. You also get a new attitude. Notice what it says in verse 11 and following. A renewal "...in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so must you do also." In addition to all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ, to which you were indeed called in one body, rule in your hearts and be thankful. That's a new attitude. Be thankful. We are people who seek unity, not division, which is really countercultural right now. Look around you. I mean, we live in a world of division. We live in a world where people hate each other constantly. You ever get on social media? You ever look at social media uh, 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 platforms like, like Twitter? It always devolves into you're an idiot. No, you're an idiot. There's so much division in the world around us. And we are people who seek unity, who seek peace. We want what God wants. And you know what God wants? He wants us to be a family and he wants us to be a family that gets along at all costs, right? We do our best to do the things that make for peace. That's what Jesus died for. That's what he sells. How can we sell the world on this whole Jesus thing and this whole Christianity thing if the world looks at us and we can't even get along? You also have a new outlook. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. When a a person recognizes their deadness and receives resurrection, their whole outlook on life changes. They didn't know what they were missing. They thought that they had a good life. They thought they had a life worth living. But dead people don't really live. And now they see the void that they were missing. They see how there's hope and there's purpose. Now there's life and they can't help but have it affect their attitude. They can't help but proclaim it like we talked about last week. I mean, if you were near death and you were wheeled into the emergency room unconscious and the doctor saves your life by figuring out what it was Some rare thing that was causing you to almost die, if they were to save you and save your life, you know what you would do? You'd probably leave a pretty good Google review. You probably would tell anybody and everybody that would listen, right? You would probably sing the praises of that doctor or that nurse or whoever. Folks, we've been plucked from the fires of hell. We, of all people, should be rejoicing, we should be celebrating. We should be telling others what a wonderful God we serve. What a wonderful Savior who specializes in resurrections. But not only that, we have a new house. Paul says, wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not become bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this is pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not antagonize your children so that they will not become discouraged. You know, the devil is knocking at your door. He's always trying to find a way in and like we talked about in our series on family a few months ago some folks are just leaving the door wide open it's not even unlocked it's wide open and so through tv internet phones whatever it may be we're allowing the devil to have unfiltered access never invite the devil in let our house be a little city of refuge may our homes be a sanctuary city where our families can find refuge from the world around them. You also get a new work ethic. I don't know that this is something we always think of when we think about what it means to re- live a resurrected life. Paul says, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord and, do not, uh, and, and not for people knowing that it is from the Lord that you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Who's your boss? Well, it's God, always. Above all else, he's your boss. He's the one that you serve. The resurrected individual understands this. They understand that they represent Jesus in everything that they do, including their work. So don't be lazy. Don't leave things undone. Let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Don't be late. Show up and work hard as for the Lord. The entirety of Paul's message in Colossians chapter 3 can be summed up in three words dress the part. That's it. Dress the part. God cares about what you wear, and we're not talking about suits and ties. We're talking about your character. God cares about what you wear. Dress in such a way that matches your spiritual identity. You know, Mark Twain is credited with saying, clothes make the man. Do you know that's not the full quote? Actually, the full quote was, clothes tell a story, clothes make the man, Naked people have little or no influence in society. But Mark Twain's point is something that I think Paul was trying to make as well. Clothes tell a story. They do, they tell a story. Old, tattered clothing may tell the story of a man who lost everything. A man wearing an Armani suit, diamond cufflinks, may tell the story of someone who's been very successful. Before you became a Christian, your life was filthy rags, but you buried that old self. And when you were resurrected, you got got new clothing. You got a white robe. And that white robe tells a story. It tells a story of redemption. It tells a story of hope. It tells a story of newness. Yes, clothes make the Christian. And they do tell a story. May we never, ever forget that we are storytellers. What we wear tells a story, and we don't change our clothes when things get messy, right? So when the election doesn't go our way, when a brother or sister in Christ riles us up, when the trolls on social media anger us, when we want to react in vengeance, when we're angry, when we're bitter, we don't change clothes, we keep our clothes on. We continue to wear that Jesus suit, we stay dressed up, and we remember the story we remember our place in that story. Have you ever read the book The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis? Great book uh, if you get a chance. But in it, the author C.S. Lewis sees himself as a visionary who's being given a tour guide and meeting some residents of both heaven and hell. And he is floored to learn that there is a woman in hell who is a grumbler. He says, why in the world would a grumbler be in hell? I mean, so, so she grumbled, so she complained. That's going to send you to hell? That's going to keep you from being with God for all eternity? And the tour guide responds, well, is she a grumbler or is she a grumble? In other words, is grumbling something she did or is grumbling something she is? Is she now like a wind-up toy that simply does the same thing over and over again because that's what she has chosen? Lewis's point is that hell is where we become what we put on. And do you know what heaven is? It's the same thing. Heaven becomes what we put on. We keep putting on the clothes that make us like Jesus. Instead of always seeking to go to heaven, you know, that seems to be the goal, right? You've heard that over and over again. The goal is to get to heaven. What is that? Sorry. Am I doing that? The goal is to always get to heaven. That's what we say, you know, the goal is to get to heaven. That's That's what we're trying to do. We're always trying to get to heaven. No, the goal is to be like Jesus. And maybe instead of always trying to get to heaven, maybe we need to try to get heaven into our hearts and live as redeemed people, as resurrected people. Because all too often we see heaven as some future event, some future destination, and it is But if you're resurrected, you enjoy heaven right here, right now. You enjoy a piece of it right here, right now. You know what it's called? Us. The church. We are heaven on earth. We get to enjoy fellowship with one another and with a perfect God. So it's not something that's just future. It's something that we enjoy in the here and now you have any idea why I chose to do this series now? Any guesses? Why would we be doing a series now called Seven Ups for a Better Life? Have you looked around it? Have you seen what's going on just in our congregation over the last year and a half? And we're not alone. Many churches are dealing with the effects of COVID. You notice how many funerals we've had lately? Have you noticed how many people are hurting? Now, this is a healthy church, and I can say that because one of the signs of a healthy church is you still have people coming in. You still have people wanting to visit and wanting to place membership. You know, we're we're doing well. But COVID has taken a toll on folks. Not only that, many of us are dealing with things that are, for some people, beyond comprehension, we're experiencing loss, sickness. Have you looked at our sick list? Have you noticed what's going on around you? This is a great congregation, and, and I want us to be excited about our growth, and I want us to be excited about the wonderful things that are happening here, but we can't lose sight of the fact that the devil's still trying to attack us. Just because things are good doesn't mean that he's going to stop. And people are struggling right now. May we pay attention. May we encourage one another, love on one another, and make certain that as we wear that Jesus suit, as we, as we don the character of Christ, that we show others what it means to have a family that's all in, right? We're all in with one another. We have pushed our chips to the middle of the table, and if this whole Jesus thing in heaven is wrong, uh, then we lost. Because we're all in. There is no plan B with us, right? There's only one plan. And we are all in. And we're all in with one another as well. In good times, and when maybe times are not so good, death, sickness, whatever it may be. What difference has this church made in your life? And if you can't pinpoint that, then something's wrong. You have a need this morning that we can help you with. If you're hurting, if you're struggling, if you need prayer, if you want to put on Christ in baptism, whatever your need is, Jim's going to lead us in a song. Why don't you come as we stand and as we sing.